Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Priesthood Dispatches. He's the man. <laughs> it's awesome, funny, random, doesn't make any sense, but it's good. Hello world and welcome back to the channel. This evening there is a trigger warning. We will be talking about all things bush hidden. Um, we're going to be talking about just galactic planetary consequences of the first bit of the temple episode, temple episode, the temple ceremony, and we will be doing that with a few friends. Let us bring those in now. We have Adam and Eve all the way from the south of England. Oh, baby. Hello. <laughs> mm, that's good. And we have Adam and Eve number two from the Midlands. Hello. Hey guys. Um, this evening, we're going to be using well-placed foliage in ancient honor of the church's videos. And as I assume, the same way that they used to do it for Joseph. Maybe this is how he met many of his wives. You know, someone slipped the foliage mm -hmm. and... He was like, give me a piece of that. Okay, right then. Everyone's in a good mood. Um, <laughs> this evening, uh, we find ourselves in our epic, sorry, just scrolling through slides, death by a PowerPoint, um, which is coming up. We find ourselves in our epic series of the Mormon Temple Expose on number four, where we will be looking at the creation room, but also the Eden room. Um, I made a bit of a mistake there because when I went through the temple, it was just all one room. But apparently in the better temples, they get two separate rooms. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, real treat for you guys tonight. Not only are we all Adam and Eve in it, we've all been out in the garden, grown plants, and now we're going to tell you why. So we'd love it if everyone could like and subscribe. 300 likes is the target. Um, yeah, if you feel you can, that'd be cracking. So the first one, I thought we've spoken a lot about changes, temple changes and what's happened and why it's happened. And there were some more changes in 2019 uh, when they went from video to PowerPoint and got rid of a few other things like Satan's dress, apron um but they put like a thing on the front to say why which i thought was amazing um would anyone in true sunday school style love to read from brothers and sisters thank you laura <clears throat> brothers and sisters since the temple endowment was first administered in this dispensation occasional adjustments have been made by the first presidency and the quorum of the 12 apostles acting unitedly in their capacity as prophets seers and revelators upon seeking the will of the lord and after solemn prayer in the upper room of the salt lake temple the lord has again revealed inspired adjustments to the temple ceremonies shall i carry on yeah yeah go for it these adjustments, which you will notice during your worship experience in the temple today, will bring harmony to the way men and women make covenants with God. They deepen our understanding of his will and his relationship with his daughters and sons. These modifications do not affect the sacred and eternal covenants associated with the saving and exalting ordinances of the temple. As a reminder, due to the sacred nature of all temple ordinances, the fact 
and content of these changes should not be discussed outside the temple. Hmm. So we know there's been changes all along the way. And I think at this point they got wise to people saying that they were gaslighting. So they, they put this on the front. It played on the front of the endowment session for a while. And what I thought was interesting that they, they've even put it in bold. These modifications do not affect the sacred <coughs> and eternal covenants associated with the saving and exalting ordinances of the temple. Now, I'll, I'll say that maybe it doesn't affect um, the very uh, kind of end result of exaltation. But I think with the covenants in between, when it comes to the sisters um, pledging their allegiance to their husbands no longer and no longer having the death oaths and things like this, do you think it makes a difference to the covenant? I think I, I think it's really interesting. I have I haven't seen this before. Um, I, I haven't been to the temple um, since 2019, so I haven't experienced this. Um, but I had read this, I think, and seen it. And um, there's a couple of things I think that are really interesting on here. One is the fact that it says here about um, I can't see it now because of the, the sorry bro. on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it says the, these adjustments, which you will notice during your workshop <coughs> experience in the temple today, will bring harmony to the way men and women make covenants with God. Um, now, just for those people that maybe haven't been to the, the temple that, that might be watching this, um, what that's referring to is, and uh, please jump in and correct me if I'm, I'm getting the wording wrong or, or anything. But um, previously the men in the endowment would covenant to um, obey the law of God and the women would covenant to hearken unto their husband as they hearken unto the Lord. So the men are making a covenant directly with God. The women are making a covenant to listen to the word of the Lord, but through their husband their husband was kind of an intermediary between them and god um and obviously that's wrong you know that, that's that's really problematic and and it's brilliant that it's been that it's been changed um but the wording that they use here says it will bring harmony to the way men and women make covenants so it's it's acknowledging that, that there was disharmony before and now we, we're going to kind of put them on, a, on a, an equal footing um but then says, um, they deepen our understanding of his will and his relationship with his daughters and sons. Um, they don't, oh. what they don't do is say, yeah, we've adjusted this to make it a little bit less sexist, you know, because we know that in the past it was a little bit misogynistic, well, it was a, a big bit misogynistic. So we've, we've changed it to bring it more into harmony with what we now know to be right. Um, you know, it's just another, it's a typical example, again, of how the church doesn't give apologies. It doesn't acknowledge its mistakes, you know, and we don't, I think we can be very forgiving of these kind of mistakes. You know, we can accept that the people that produce these things are a product of their times. Um, but that doesn't get them off the hook. You know, that, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be an acknowledgement of that. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be saying, well, look, we're, we're correcting something that was previously wrong. Um, 
you know, and, and that, I, I, yeah, I just, I've not noticed that before. And I think that was really, that's really problematic. Yeah. And um, I, so I spoke to um, a former temple president and I asked him about the, uh, uh, the death oaths and the fact that because I hadn't done them, was I still hold, held accountable to them, even though I hadn't? Like, were people who did it pre-1990, were they going to have to do that? Were they held accountable to that? Or um, was were we all just the same still? Because for me, if they have to do those things, if they reveal it, but I don't because I didn't say those words, then that's a different covenant. It's a different promise, isn't it? But the church apparently would well, say, no, it's the same and it doesn't matter that you didn't do it you're still both held to the same kind of bar um and I, i'd say that that's the same with the sisters here um and they've even said his relationship with his daughters and sons which is loaded language and i'm i'm all for you know equal rights for men and women and women and men but the church has Good started, upd yeah yeah oh god <laughs> get me bra right um but the, the church has started doing this putting sisters first daughters first um which i think is madam protesta too much if you know what i mean it's too obvious that they've made this change in language in order to appease some of the sisters who want to feel more included you know what they could do is they could just say Oh yeah, sisters have the priesthood. We're all just the same. Everyone has the same covenants. Everyone has the same responsibilities. Let's get on with it. Whereas they just change these little little words around and expect everyone to kind of oh look what they did. No, sorry, I'm on one tonight. I think it's the foliage. I do agree. I think. I mean, I'm I'm on one with you. I think this this change was and how they announced it and what the changes were and how they gave no explanation ever of what these changes even mean ever they, they've given no 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 secret explanation no public explanation they just made the change told everyone suck it up um i think this is the point where their constant tinkering with the endowment just collapsed into absolute farce because as you said it acknowledged that something was wrong before um and it is a radical change this is one of the covenants that's to do with accessing exaltation and salvation you know, the wording of the covenant that the women used to make their covenant to their husbands, um, who presumably in the next life would be their God, like who they would worship and who would kind of give them exaltation, which I'm really up for. <laughs> oh, um, no, no, no. They, they just changed that. But but it's a different covenant, you know, if uh, or is it? Um, I'm, we may be getting a bit ahead of ourselves. You are, we're sort of you discussing are. Discussing what that particular, yeah. We'll yeah. get to it a bit later. Make sure we do because they they sort of the way they worded the new version actually doesn't change anything and might even be more polygamous than before. Yeah. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out from this announcement, they said these modifications do not affect the sacred and eternal covenants associated with the saving and exalting ordinances of the temple. Well, they do. They completely change some of them. As a reminder, due to the sacred nature of all temple ordinances, the fact and content of these changes should not be discussed outside the temple. 
So it's not only should you not say what has changed, you shouldn't even admit outside of the temple that there has been a change. Now that, for me, was the most sinister line I've ever heard in a lot of sinister lines from leaders of our church. And they had this read at the beginning of the endowment for months. It's you're not even allowed to admit that we changed anything. You can't talk about the fact that we changed anything outside the temple. And as we know, inside the temple, you're mostly shushed and you're not allowed to sit around having a chat about what the hell just happened. Um, this was like the most assertive example the leaders of the church have ever done of totalitarian thought control. You weren't even allowed to acknowledge that any changes had happened. Like if someone asked you, you would just have to lie to them. And as usual, it was total hypocrisy because they did a press release about it. The but church spoke to the press or they had some kind of public statement acknowledging that changes had been made. But in the temple itself, they're telling the, the, the peasant slaves of the church, you're not even allowed to admit that there was a change, even though we will tell journalists. I need some fruit to calm me down. Okay, Laura. I mean, it's just egregious. <clears throat> it, uh, ah! Over to Laura. No, I, yeah, I think um, I too have noticed the um, rhetoric where you've got sisters and sisters and coming first, sisters and brothers and daughters and sons, and um, and maybe that's a way for them to acknowledge disharmony if that's the way they want to if that's the way they want to put it maybe that's like a it does come at a risk i think because i think oh, if yeah. you've got a, a stalwart priesthood holder that will antagonize so they have made a, a decision there to i think I, I do think it's risky to to use that sort of language because i, I think maybe some of the um this is not to do a disservice to the older sisters just because they've been a bit more entrenched in it for longer they will probably um, uh, see it as a nice gesture. The younger lot, I don't think, will will be near as placated. Um, but aside from that, I just wanted to go back to this: these adjustments, which you will notice during your worship experience in the temple today. That, to me, is sinister. These adjustments, which you will notice during your your worship experience in the temple today, will bring harmony to the way men and women make covenants with God. So, if anybody goes and experiences that and thinks hang on, I have a bunch of questions here as to why it wasn't harmonious beforehand. But actually, my temple experience today has to be about harmony. I have to be feeling good about this experience. Again, it's this whole thing of I'm going to give you groupthink and no space to process that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th I think you, you, so you mentioned a press release, Peter. I, I don't know about a press release, but I know that this, something very similar to what we've got here um, was released because I, again I remember reading all this whole thing about um, the fact that it shouldn't be discussed outside of the temple, um, and I, I'm sure we must have touched upon this in some of the other um, the other podcasts that we've done in this series. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a lot of I, th I think that there's a bit of controversy about what you can and can't say outside of the, the temple. Now, for me, I always thought it was very very clear because there are certain things in the temple that we make covenants um, not to reveal. Um, 
So as far as I'm concerned, that's the bit that we're not allowed to talk about. The rest, that's absolutely fine. We're okay to talk about those things. So this was bringing in a new level, wasn't it? When they said this shouldn't be discussed, it's bringing in a new level. And yet they've acknowledged the changes. So I think the real point here, or the I'm trying to work out why they've done this, and I imagine it's because they don't want people to know that it was ever any different. They want to make the change and they want to forget about how it was. You know, we're all going to know that it's changed and they're acknowledging that it's changed, but they don't want to acknowledge what it's changed from. Yeah, I kind of think that it's, it, it cut, it cut, it, oh, some feedback. It comes from, um, there was a previous change a couple of years before where they made some big changes on like the 1st of January. I can't remember which year it was. Um, and that was when they did all the stuff with the sisters no longer having to veil their faces and the sisters no longer coming in um, to follow the husband as Lord and Saviour. Um, and those changes were like online the day of, you know, people blabbed it far and wide. And I think I think that's the problem that they're trying to address here. Um, the fact that, you know, reminding everyone that it's not to be discussed outside the temple, but let's do it anyway, shall we? um mm -hmm. so we've done the washings and anointings we're all very well greased and oiled up i just wanted to point this one out so we get to the endowment i guess part that we would more recognize as the endowment ceremony and it wasn't until 1877 that endowments were actually starting to be done for dead ancestors um so previous to that it was all very um, as Keith Erickson would say, it was all very horizontal, um, everyone being sealed together as brothers and sisters. And then it was changed um, by Wilford Woodruff to be more vertical um, and everyone being sealed to their dead ancestors. Julian, you look like you've got something to say. <laughs> okay. I've just got, I'm just messing around in my mouth. I've got a little ulcer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone Everyone loved hearing that. Uh, so yeah. after after your washing and anointing, you get a present, and that is a new name. Um, and to point out, also in Freemasonry from the 1820s, a new initiate also gets a new name. Um, just down here. Oh, uh, I also present you with a new name. It is Caution. Now, I don't know if the name is Caution or if that's like Caution, don't tell anyone your new name. Um, but yeah, uh, Freemason's got a new name as well. So it only kind of goes to show another parallel between, and we'll see some more parallels later, between the Masonic ritual and the Mormon ritual. Um, but does anyone want to explain this list of names here? Peter, you're muted. Sorry, my my Eve left me. Um, I think she's Judith. Like, there's this legend yeah. that Adam in the Garden of Eden had a first yeah. wife called Judith. No, isn't um, it Lilith? She wasn't playing ball with this. Oh, Lilith. Sorry, yeah. Lilith. And um, that and that she wasn't gonna, you know, play ball with that nonsense and left. So yeah. that's how we ended up with Eve. Anyway, the chair was getting uncomfortable. She might be back later. She's off looking for more fruit. Um, so the new names, um, 
we i don't know we we when you go through you kind of think oh this is some mystical amazing special thing just for me um but then you find out there's a calendar so the the new name you get is based upon um the whoever went through the temple that day in all the temples of the world yeah so which is quite a good idea because if you do forget your very important new name you can always check out the date you went to the temple and someone can let you know which one you got yeah um it's kind of a list of i think they're all from the scriptures i don't know but this current um, one here, if you were to go through think, the temple today, your new name as a female would yeah. be Rhoda. I've never heard of Iroda. It's uh, very difficult to have all, uh, that many names for females, considering there's not that many females in the scriptures. Yeah. You have to include a few a few harlots. <laughs> not many from the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Donna. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you were a woman, you'd be Rhoda. If you were a man, you would be Ishmael. Yeah. so yeah so that's the that's the um oracle the temple oracle they call it temple name oracle so anyone can as peter said give their date that they went through and the church can look back and remind you of your new name and so can i just point out um what ruth as uh, that comment from ruth so so she's saying her new name was eve so that must mean i think i'm right in saying that that must mean that the actual name was ruth so if you go through and it just so happens that the new name for that day is your actual name then they give you adam or eve is that right yes so you will have gone through if it was after january 22nd 1993 uh ruth will have gone through on the first of the month so it's it's like one of them social media things where you're like, oh, tell me your sex name, where actually it's a code for your date of birth. Um, and people like, they put like black hanging like canvas or something. And um, yeah, they they figure out your date of birth because you've, you've done it from the-, the Yeah, little, your data. Yeah, little Oracle there. Um, but- there was so last week we read from a very angry ex-mormon who was from england and moved across to utah in the 1850s and he went through the temple and we've got a couple of interesting excerpts from him today later on he meets the angel moroni in the temple which is weird never heard of that one but speaking of the new name he says after he was washed and anointed the priest whispered in my ear new name which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. He first ascertained that my Christian name was William and then gave me the name of James. All the names are either John, Peter, James, David, Solomon, Abraham, or such like, and there are no surnames given in the endowment house. This new name must never be divulged, only to St. Peter. Um, and then he speaks about, um, at this juncture, I was introduced to the angel Gabriel. I shook hands uh, accordingly with this angel majesty, but being unaccustomed to meeting angels, I was somewhat embarrassed and knew not what to say. However, I summoned up my courage to remark, happy to meet you, Mr. Gabriel. It's a fine day, ain't it? Forgetting that angels usually live so far from the clouds that they are unaffected by atmospheric influences. 
I also venture to say that I had expected to have heard him blow his trumpets before having the pleasure of his acquaintance. He smiled, and this relieved me, for I expected to find angels very grave and solemn. But here was an angel that could actually laugh. Um, and he goes on about drawing him out, about talking about the resurrection and different things. But I just, I'd like to believe him that there was some entertainer whilst everyone else was getting washed and anointed. Because it, it, if there's like 60 of you going through and you've all got to have a bath and a rub down, it's going to take some time. I'd like to think that there was a man stood in the other room with a trumpet just waiting for people to be like, hey, how are you doing? You know, like a stand-up comic. Well, maybe he was introducing them. You know, when you kind like of enter herald. the room, like, do 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 Yes. Here comes Ruth, I mean Eve. His Master James, come on down. Yeah. But we we hear more from Angel, Angel Moroni later. Um, but I just thought that was awesome. PD, could I just say something before we, we move on? Um, just on the whole new name thing. So... I've just kind of had a quick little glance down at the comments and Ruth kind of started off this whole thing now and people are kind of putting their names on there. And um, and I I understand that, um, that some people that might be watching, because I know that you get quite a lot of um, active members that, that, that come on to, to view the channel. Um, might be a bit upset by that. And, and, and even, you know, I'm being a bit facetious there, but even people that some people that have left might be a bit upset. I've got to be honest with you. It took me ages yeah. to be able to even tell Laura my new name. Even though, even after I'd left, I didn't believe it. But you know, it, it's just it's just difficult because I promised I wouldn't. <laughs> I found it really hard. Yeah. You know, I don't mind saying it now. It's Malcolm. Um, Ooh. But. Uh, I know that some people are not going to kind of understand the fact that actually being able to, you know, for some being able to kind of now talk about it and express it um, on the internet um, is important for them. It's an important part of kind of taking ownership again, a, a, an important part of processing what for some it's people. Like a reclamation, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, I, I feel like I'm very fortunate in that, I quite enjoyed the temple. It didn't really affect me in the same way as I know it does a lot of people. And so being able to, to talk openly and frankly in this way, to you know, and doing things like sharing the their um, their new name, um, that's quite an important thing for for some people. And and so if if anybody is watching this and is upset, they're, they're probably not. But if they are, then just be be kind and generous and realise that actually some people have been massively, massively traumatised by the temple and, and it's important for them to be able to do that. Yeah, and I think that's what we're here for. We're here to take things a little less seriously, but we have, as a group of people, decided on certain lines that we've said we won't cross and we won't, you know, be giving away signs and tokens that people who may watch feel very uncomfortable with. Um, so, yeah, I think that's worth well worth um, pointing out there, Julian. Um, it was ruined for me a little bit on the day that I went through the temple. And you know how they kind of um, get your whole family to go through the veil first and wait in the celestial room to kind of welcome you as you go through. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my whole family were there. My brother-in-law, who wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, he um, he greeted me and whispered in my ear, I know your name. And I was like, I've just gone through that whole thing of kind of what was supposed to be the climax of my um, you know, spiritual upbringing. And he sat me down and he opened the scriptures and he turned to the page where it said my new name and pointed at it. And I was just so disappointed. I thought, did he hear me at the veil? Was he like one of the workers and he, he overheard me? Shouldn't he have been concentrating on the other people? And it wasn't until years later that I figured out that everyone just gets the same name for the day. So, yeah. Names names are funny things. You only ever use them when you're in trouble. Um, but the, the whole point... May, the... Should we just point out what... Should we just point out, like, what, why, again, for see, people... Between you and God, you know. We're sort of assuming, like, what, what, what is the name for? What is the point in the temple? Well, that's um, what we're... That's, there is... That's yeah, what we're doing it's, now, it's Peter. It's point where... Um, you what? Sorry? That's what we're doing now on this slide. Okay, brilliant. Go for it. Sorry. Awesome. So, um, I'm sure there are, there are other reasons for the new name, Peter, but the one that I've chosen is that we were all going to get a new name. And if you imagine, there are probably only a few hundred new names. So if there are millions and millions of people in the celestial kingdom and everyone shouts Ishmael, a lot of people are going to turn around. So I'm sure, you know, this name will be kept very sacred even then, surely. Um, But but I mean... Do you get to trade in your, so is that how the polygamy part of it works? Because it's only the men that are going to be shouting the name, aren't they? So if they shout out, I don't know, Debbie, and you've got like 20 Debbies, you're like, can you trade in your Debbie for someone, another Debbie? Well, we're about to see this. Right. So the angel Moroni that met this uh, English convert in the temple also goes on to say, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. She gave away to the devil in Eden and she had no business to. And then she coaxed and wheeled around her old man, Adam, until he yielded to her. He did not yield to Satan only in as much as the devil was in Eve. Now, the woman, having given way to Satan, it will never do to entrust her with salvation. So this is how and I'm not saying that what this guy's written is accurate to 100 percent, but it jibes with the doctrine that the the woman is put down because of Eve's transgression here, okay? And then the fact that he says um, it wouldn't be right to trust her with her salvation, uh, for she would give it away to the devil in five minutes. The husband holds the wife's salvation and has power to raise her up at the resurrection, interrupting i asked uh, what became of the spinsters and old maids gabriel laughed heartily this time and said when they die their spirits are shoved into prison with the spirits of all the old bachelors and that is hell enough for both parties there the gospel of matrimony is preached unto them and if they get over their prejudice and join in wedlock they are let out of jail and go straight to glory Here the angel paused and said, let me see uh, what we had got so far as the resurrection. Now, don't you see that it's very important that a man should have power to resurrect his own wives? 
it will not it will not be as you have supposed that i shall toot my horn and wake them up oh no it's not my business to wake up the women at the resurrection i shall only call forth the men for instance take your own case supposing you marry 40 wives perhaps several of them will have perplexed or bothered you so much in this life that you won't want to be troubled by them in the next world ah this is amazing isn't it no do you think this was written by a man uh, no one would know better than yourself who to resurrect out of the lot it will be my duty to call you up there you will stand at the graves of your 40 wives and you will then call forth those you wish the remainder will sleep on in their graves and never see the light of eternity no woman's name is found in the book of life so far as i could learn from this celebrated angel i should stand at the graves of my 40 wives provided i had so many and should soliloquize thus there's jane she was the first rate wife and very faithful i'll have her up hence i would bawl out jane come forth and up she'd come well there's maria she was a vixen i'll have i had enough of her during this life i don't want her anymore maria is mine <laughs> okay so we go it goes on with some interesting things but the thing the thing that he's getting to is that the reason for the names is and and this is found when you go and do your uh, temple sealing to your wife the brother will learn the wife's name but the wife will not learn the brother's name because she doesn't need it the brother needs it because on the morning of the first resurrection he will be called forward if he is righteous and he will choose to call his wife forward anyone <laughs> i'm on missing something because Okay, so I think that needs addressing, that, that, that whole thing that you've just read out there. Um, but before I go on to that, am I missing something? Because what's wrong with your real name? You know, if I'm calling <laughs> calling Laura up out of her grave, can't I just go, Laura, why does it need to be Eve or whatever? I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense. It's like explained as if that explains. But that's bollocks. And it doesn't make got, any sense. If you've got 40 wives, you've got to remember 80 names. And if you call forth the vixen by accident, you can't put her back under again. Yeah. You're much more likely to remember their actual names that you've used for them throughout their lives. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Well, Erastus Snow tried to make some more sense of it. And this from a pro-Mormon point of view from the Journal of Discourses 5291. Do you uphold your husband before God as your Lord? What? my husband to be my lord i ask can you get into the celestial kingdom without him have any of you been there you will remember that you never got into the celestial kingdom without the aid of your husband if you did it was because your husband was away and some someone had to act proxy for him no woman will get into the celestial kingdom except her husband receives her if she is worthy to have a husband and if not somebody will receive her as a servant so still doesn't explain why they need a, a, a different name uh, no, i'm just i'm just kind of uh, reinforcing the fact that what what the guy said the angel said but that but that also goes just. back to the fact that the covenant that's been changed when it comes to obeying your husband is significant 
because here it's important that it exists because your husband is your conduit to heaven so by changing it so that you don't obey your husband it is different because you've now got this this relationship directly with with god which is too dangerous yeah oh yeah yeah like you the, the the church up until the mid 2010s held the husband up as the lord of the wife you know he was as it said there the the wife was never going to get to the celestial kingdom without a husband and it's the same way that we know what the husband will do in the celestial kingdom in making worlds and everything but we were very grainy on what the sisters will do in the celestial kingdom because it doesn't matter they're almost an appendage to this male oriented doctrine no. I feel like I, I I need Jane to put some kind of monologue on the chat for this. I need her voice because she would go to town on this. I don't. I'm a bit flabbergasted. I've never heard of this rhetoric. I knew that the males were supposed to call forth the females, but I had no idea that there was an idea that um, that they might just not call ones that would peed them off. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I, I don't think I don't think that's a very I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's a very reliable. I think. I think in terms of doctrine is concerned. Um, no. You know, on, on several accounts. So obviously, certainly the presentation um, of the Garden of Eden story is is really quite. I, I think is quite good in that. You know, it has Eve kind of understanding what needs to happen, and Adam actually kind of saying to her look yeah i eve i see that this must be you know she kind of understands that this is what he's got to do in order to to keep god's commandment to multiply and replenish the earth and and so to then cast her as the villain in the story seems to kind of go against the narrative of the the endowment itself um so so that i think is problematic um the i think the the calling them forward in the resurrection um no, you know I I, that's the thing yeah um but even that you know i don't i don't know where how how fair it would be to say that that's doctrine um what's interesting is that you, you mentioned the links to um freemasonry um and that touches upon the whole resurrection thing as well so so in the um if I'm remembering this right, I haven't looked at it for a long time, but in the, the third degree of of, uh, of masonry where you become a master mason, yeah. um, you learn a, um, a, a grip, um, which is, um, I think it's called like the lion's grip or something like that. Yeah. And, this, and this grip is used to resurrect the murdered Hiram Abiff in 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 that in that story. So there is a, a link with these things and this idea of of the kind of ritual of actually resurrecting somebody. Um, yeah, it's the same grip that you take your wife by when you're sealed together. It's very similar. There is a slight difference, but it's very very similar. Yeah, but I I think I agree with you, Julian. This guy's story, this anti-Mormon, it's very theatrical. But I think what it is indicative of is maybe the cultural um impressions at the time of polygamy 
and one line further down, I think, um, kind of brings that to the fore when he says that the reason for this um, says, you see, said the angel, continuing his strange theology, the doctrine makes the woman obey their husbands when nothing else will. Polygamy is a peculiar affair, and it requires a strong doctrine to regulate the domestic concerns of plurality. Hence, we teach that the husband is the only Lord and God the wife will ever know or be answerable to. So I'm not saying that's accurate, but what I'm saying is there are undertones of that we've seen in the temple of the wife having to be subservient to her husband and that way back then it was possibly a cultural thing rather than a doctrinal thing. You know how you have a seed of a doctrine when someone mm. says something and then they pick it up and then they say, all right, well, that's the reason for polygamy and that's the reason that the women don't need um, anything because the, the guy's going to do it all for them. Mm. And you've, you've got to, you know, I've, I've got to in, say that in, if you've read much of the writings of Brigham Young, you can imagine this coming out of his mouth. You know, yeah. it, it does sound very, very similar to a lot of the stuff, um, you know, spoken by him. And that's interesting as well, isn't it? Because, again, we, we, you know, let's not go headfirst down this rabbit hole, but um, it shows the disharmony in, that we, you know, we would all assume is present in polygamous um marriages or yeah. certainly can be in polygamous marriages um yeah and certainly we're swimming in in the difference between culture and what's being said from the pulpit every single day because that's why yeah. there's such a misstep in, misstep in generations if you get a um, um a ex-mormon that has been um that has received trauma through their teachings and they were raised say in the 60s 70s 80s 90s they have had a very different cultural experience to how the how the kids are being raised now, and so there's not that understanding of that experience, and and it can feel like you're being gaslit, but that's because that was the understanding of the time when we were raised in the 80s and 90s. We had a very different rhetoric fed to us in youth than you get than you get now. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, wow. back then it was still, um, you know, the boys are going to be doing football and the girls are going to be doing knitting or learning to sew or learning to bake because all the girls are going to do is stay at home and raise big families whereas now you know this it's the boys still just play football but the girls are able to actually do constructive activities and do what the boys do if they want mm. to i still i still do see a lot of toilet roll being used for, for wedding dresses um on mutual activities though <laughs> Stop that. Oh, <laughs> right then. I think, I think that can you imagine that can you imagine the spectacle of this? You've got William Jarman with a huge audience of Brits who know nothing about Mormonism. And he's clearly exact blinging things up here. I mean, I've no idea if there was ever an angel Gabriel having these conversations with people no. who went to the endowment. I think it was quite an immersive experience. But what he's done, he's he's created a a kind of a foil for actually discussing what he's seeing he has picked up on all these details, the key messages of the endowment. And he's got this idea of, you know, he's nailing straight in on the misogyny of it all, the enslavement of women, the control, um, the, the patriarchal constants. And he, he's really expressing that really powerfully. 
Hey everyone, SEMC screwing with us again. Doctrine. Yeah, yeah, so I think it was the... Christian doctrine that Eve screwed up everything for all of humanity. Um, so that's what he's kind of picking up here and what these other apostles are. But as we've also commented, um, aspects of the Mormon temple focus are actually very feminist. Um, Eve kind of knew what she was doing and, and did positive things rather than being a mess. So you've yeah. got this tension playing out between traditional Christian views of women because of Eve as the weak person screwing everything up for men. Therefore, she cannot be trusted with political power. Women cannot have the votes. Women cannot um, make decisions about the family. Women <clears throat> cannot uh, have status or priesthood. Um, yet they've kind of had dropped in their laps, and, and it's in Genesis to some extent, this much more feminist view of Eve, that she got them out of, of, of being stuck. Um, well, yeah. I mean, this is a really positive thing about the endowment. Peter, I always thought that uh, Eve didn't do anything wrong. Eve was the one that figured it out first. And that Adam was oh, yeah, definitely. behind, you know. Because yeah, Ad yeah we'll, it's a clear we'll, message. We'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, so one, I think yeah. one last one before we get into the actual um, nuts and bolts of it. Death by PowerPoint. Obviously, that's what our broadcasts are, but we we do it for fun. Um, but they're Death by PowerPoint. So from um, Utah Lighthouse Ministry on the right-hand side here, um, Peter, could you read till I stop you, please? Oh, good Lord, I'll try. It's very small. Right. Originally, the endowment ceremony was a live play. But in the 1970s, the LDS Church began to incorporate films portions. Com um, currently, only Salt Lake and Manti temples perform the story of Adam and Eve live. But these temples are scheduled to close at the end of 2019 for remodeling. However, one wonders if they will continue to present the live drama when the two temples um, reopen in a few years. In 2013 and 2014, the LDS Church introduced three new temple films. Each of the films used the same dialogue, and but had different actions, um, thus providing link um, a little variety, as the films were rotated in use. Actors are seen playing the parts of Elohim, Jehovah, and Michael, communicating with Luther, Adam, and Eve. It also showed Peter, James, and John um, conversing with the various characters in the creation play. However, this year, the films have been eliminated. Now they only use slides depicting various scenes from the play while the audience listens to a recording of the actors' voices. After going to each... Um, after going to such expense to create and translate these new films, why why revert to slides? Sorry, my eyes have gone. It's really I'll, re I'll the read screen. the last paragraph. <laughs> One possible carry on reading. Thank you. One possible answer would be that it simplifies the task when making adjustments to the uh, ceremony. A new version of the video would need to be made. Also, it would be easier to adjust the length of the ritual when a translation into foreign language takes longer than in English. Some have speculated the removal of the films might be to distance the church from the producer of the videos who recently pled guilty to sex crimes. 
um, but I, I thought that was a, a nice, concise um, kind of way of, of showing how it was before, obviously, a live play until the 1970s and uh, and then beyond. So, so this, I mean, the, the, the fact that they've gone, what's actually happened to Mansort Lake, I don't know if you're going to talk about that later or if we should say that now. Yeah, go for it, Peter. Um, uh it's kind of spot on for what we're talking about, how you can make changes in this church if you campaign and things like that, but also how too much power is concentrated at the top. Um, President Nelson and a bunch of officials gave an official press conference describing the plans for the Salt Lake Temple, that they're going to make it earthquake proof and renovate it. And they've got a major overhaul going on. They lined up people saying we have spent literally years researching conservation that we are going to preserve this temple for future generations. The Salt Lake Temple being the iconic, the Vatican, the Sistine Chapel of Mormonism with craftsmanship and murals painted on the walls. They sent missionaries to Europe in the 1800s to study art in Paris and bring home those skills and paint these priceless murals. And they made promises that they were researching mural conservation, that, you know, everything would be restored as it should be. They bring back the multicolored um, palette of the original Victorian artists who, who made it. So it was about a restoration to how Brigham Young had that building. Um, and they said that they would be continuing live endowments, alternating with filmed ones. Basically, the idea being just introduce a screen that can kind of come down from the ceiling so foreign visitors can do it in their own languages if they want to. Once they'd made all that press announcement, cleared all the temple workers, got everyone off site, they destroyed it. They suddenly had different ideas. Suddenly, oh, we can't save anything. So as far as we know, the only things being saved from the original craftsmanship and some stairways, um, as far as we understand, all these murals that you're looking at have now been destroyed. They are changing the sizes of the rooms. They're going to turn it into a Mac temple um, with films in boxes rather than progressing through the rooms, one presumes, or maybe a halfway house. And they've now announced that they are no longer going to be doing any live endowments anywhere. So after promising in a press conference with President Nelson there that the live endowments continue, they've announced that they are now discontinued at Manti and Salt Lake. There was a slightly more successful outcome with Manti. They were planning to do the same to Manti. Manti Temple has murals painted by Minerva Teichart, who is um, like the female Mormon artist of the 20th century. Um, priceless as far as Mormon art history goes. And there was a huge campaign and a lot of distress about this. Um, and they were going to have protests in Provo. There was a whole movement going to, to campaign to preserve this art of this female artist rather than erase it from history. Um, and there was such a backlash about this that they, uh, President Nelson had a revelation. It was remarkable. And the revelation was now going to build a small temple you know, just up the road from Manti to cope with the huge demand, which is all imaginary. There isn't huge demand. Um, and the Manti temple is basically going to be left alone with some renovation. So the, the murals at the moment, the plan is to preserve them as in as they should be where they were made to be originally. Um, 
And the lies they've told is just astonishing. Oh, we found it was too difficult to get these murals off the wall and that sort of thing and preserve them. All utter nonsense. The world is teeming with art restoration and conservation experts. I was going to say. Thousands of years older than this going. Yeah, go around um, Europe. So it's any yeah. any any old building in Europe, and there are preserved mm. artwork from far older than this. You know, mm. from hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years. I mean, ago. it was. It, I mean, this because uh, I'm an art teacher. This absolutely tipped me over the edge. This was my trigger thing where I was ready for the church to burn down, because the the utter the contempt towards the this church that goes on and on and indoctrinated me from childhood in England about the pioneer heritage, how this is our shared culture and history. We are those pioneers. Um, they they travelled across hell and deserts and lost their children and suffered to build this temple in Salt Lake City and, and, and that I, temple Mount and St. George and, and Logan. I, and they already destroyed Logan in the 70s. Um, and they to, to just stand there, make solemn vows as the prophet of the church that it was all going to be preserved. And then to just with utter contempt, uh, be like, sure. <laughs> If yeah. this happened in Britain, in a parish church, anywhere, there would be campaigns. People would be chaining themselves to the bulldozers to stop the destruction. I'm disgusted with the utter lack of civic something or other of yeah. the people of Salt Lake City. That they, let, that they are watching this happen. They're Two. their number one tourist attraction, their most precious jewel. They are letting it happen and they've done nothing to stop it, really. Yeah. This would not happen in Britain because we're much more clued into having heritage to preserve. And I think Americans are just used to having so little old buildings to look after. They don't kind of have a feel for it. Yeah. Is my only explanation for why there haven't been people chaining themselves across the gateways to Temple Square to stop this happening. Yeah. It's well, and and it maybe when they when it opens, they'll see how much they've messed it up. Then the protests will start, but it'll be too late. Yeah. Is this and an I... expensive endeavour to uh, to restore the artwork here? Are we talking a lot of money? Mm. Well, yeah, but do no. you money's no object. They've got it. No, I'm saying, uh, is they've this a reason? Got millions. Is this... yeah. I don't think it is. I think yeah. the, the only possible reasons can mm. be um, Russell M. Nelson likes white, pure temples, the new ones, where it's just white inside. For me, when I first went somewhere that had a different colour paint on the wall to that white magnolia, I was shocked and I felt it was a bit irreverent, you know. But for this, these ones in Salt Lake, I've heard people talk about how their great-grandfather painted that or their great-grandfather worked on the balustrades or their great-grandfather did this, that and the other or their great-grandmother, you know, sewed the veil and, and different things. And when they went to the temple they felt that connection with their ancestors and it gave that extra dimension to the temple. But I think this is just the classic thing that Julian's already spoken about. And that is the dumbing down, taking away all the interesting things. What do you think, Julian? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I don't want to cover old ground, but this is exactly what I was talking about last time. You know, they're completely missing the point. Uh, you know, it should be entertaining. It's supposed to be 
an enriching and entertaining experience. And, you know, in, in, all they're trying to do is distill it to, you know, these essential um, these essential elements, which themselves have been kind of distilled and, and, and reduced down and can change, as we've discussed with, with covenants that are made, then for goodness sake, just spare us all the bother. Let's stop wasting money and just, you know, profit can just do it for and in behalf of everyone that's, that's died yeah. and will die and all of that, you know, because that's, that's what the atonement was, wasn't it? Yeah. The atonement, you have to do it every time for each individual person. You know, surely the atonement is good enough to just take care of all of this stuff as well, if it's an essential ordinance. If that's what you want, if, if, if all you're trying to do is distill it down to this idea of, no, we are we are saving our ancestors, then it's just nonsense. And anybody that tries to apply the least bit of logical thinking to it can see that it is nonsense. The atonement if you believe in the atonement, is enough to save everybody to the ultimate, you know, amount, the required amount. It's not designed for our ancestors. It is an endowment of power for the individual that is going through, or that's what it's meant to be. And I would suggest, you know, could be, if they were putting their attention into actually making an, an enjoyable experience for people, um, something that people felt a, a real desire to go, not not because God is going to bless them or they'll get some brownie points or their ancestors all, you know, bow down at them or anything, but actually just I'm coming and I'm getting the, having this wonderful experience being here, then I think they could make it a, a, a good experience again. But it just shows, for me, I just hear all that stuff that you was going on, on about, Peter, and it just says, well, they don't give a crap. They don't no. care. It's not about... Did we think it was about us? It's not about us. They don't and care. President Nelson's also randomly decided they're going to put a second baptistry in. And the okay. whole thing is his personal delusion that the church is growing exponentially and there's huge demand for this. Um, the Mantai and, and Salt Lake temples were not oversubscribed. They were not too busy. They, they had low low periods, you know. He thinks it's just me, this machine with multitudes of nations and languages coming to the temple. They could have done both. All they need to do is put a screen in the same room, just have it lower from the ceiling and do a different schedule and have people sit there. Yeah. I mean, there was no need to do any of this. But he has, of course, had his own tombstone swapped for a slab of the granite taken from the Salt Lake Temple he is vandalizing. Yeah, um, with his name on it. I think, I think that was the whole reason. So it faces the road. So the tombstone is now facing where it's easier to read from the street to show off. Yeah. And it has yeah, a little comment that this is the president of the church who renovated the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah. Okay. So it's, well, it's like the Romans taking the menorah and the Ark of the Covenant out of the Jewish temple they destroyed and featuring it on the Arch of Titus in Rome, which I've gone to see in the Roman Forum. You can okay. see them carrying the Ark of the Covenant in triumph and the, the menorah with the candlestick, you know, and it's there. And I just, I'm like, I can't believe this is literally happening in front of our faces with President Nelson in Salt Lake City. He's destroyed the temple, raided it of trophies, and he's claiming a glorious victory. And he's he's a, a barbarian invader. He's destroyed 
are sustainable. Okay. It's unforgivable. Well, let's get to the creation room because we need to move on swiftly. Otherwise, we are this, yeah, the creation room, or as uh, written here in the 1931 Temple Mormonism, it's evolution, ritual, and meaning. It's They call it here the um, door of chaos or the creation room, or further down, it's called um, the, sorry, Okay, I can't find it. it it's chaos the lo- or the lower instruction room. That's it. Chaos or the lower instruction room. So that was new to me. Um, but in this creation room, everyone goes in. The men sit on the right. The ladies sit on the left. This here on the left-hand side, this slightly blurred um, image, this is from the 1906 Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, we've seen some excerpts from this previously in previous episodes. Um, so this is just a continuation of their account and they say in the creation room um, at length the silence is broken and a man enters a door in the front of the room dressed in white and representing elohim now this was new to me the um, greatest of the mormon deities he makes the statement that any who wish to retire may do so that everything which is heard and seen is to be kept profoundly secret that which he has been already um, passed through as well as that which is to come seeing none who wish to retire he continues brethren you have been washed clean uh, you've been washed and pronounced clean um this uh, that is clean from the blood and sins this generation he goes on now when you're in the temple and you hear that voice for the first time I never connected that that was supposed to be Elohim. Did anyone else? No. And, and to I me, that that was possibly voice. Yeah, I don't know. news. I thought it was just the guy. Just some random bloke explaining what's going on, I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, at least according to this account. Interesting. No, I, I noticed. There are two, I think, I think I'm right in saying that that if you listen to those those uh, kind of instructional voices, there are two, and at some points it's Elohim, and at other points it's Peter. Yeah, because doesn't he refer to himself in the third person at one point when he says that he won't be mocked? So I thought that there was referring that was somebody else speaking. Yeah, it says for God will not be mocked. Yeah. yeah. Well, in in this account from 1931, uh, when all is quiet, a man dressed in white. Um, representing Elohim comes from behind the curtain and addressing the audience and says, brethren, you have been washed and pronounced clean and gives that speech Uh, to back up, I guess, slightly what we were discussing earlier about the sexism sisters, you have been washed and anointed that you may become Queens and priestesses unto your lords. That is your husbands. Um, So, I guess that that kind of jibes with what we read earlier of the husbands being represented as the Lord to the sister, whereas that's obviously changed now. So, yeah, so in the creation room, um, they speak about being washed and anointed, and then they go on to speak about the actual creation of the earth. This being the image we saw a moment ago, 
of those lovely murals or one of those lovely murals in the Salt Lake Temple creation room. And the reason for them was to set the scene because it was a live action role play. Um, so, you know, that's um, special. 